The year is 1978. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is my marvelous year. You yeah, were that was way higher crazy, pitched right? than normal there. <laughs> that was I was like, like, that was like you're on well, helium. I've been thinking like, I feel like I've been low energy for the I'm Zachs lately, so I really wanted to go for it. But yep, maybe a little too hard. <laughs> a little low T on your intro, more like an in yeah. row, you know? No, I don't get it. What? Hang on. Insert some crickets there. Yeah. What's the joke? I don't get in row. This is a hot start. Oh, you're low oh, T. I so yeah, I took yeah, the I gotcha. T out of your intro. I gotcha. I gotcha. How gotcha, many? Gotcha. Good grief. My Marvelous Year Club, write to us. MyMarvelousYear at gmail.com. Should Dave have to explain his jokes as often as he does? That's what I want to know. Well, that was, yeah, it was an okay joke. We're starting the show with an outtake today. Oh, no. Sh- <laughs> that's sh- sh- that's sh- sh- fun. Yeah, no, no. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Kick it off. Welcome to my Marvel. Welcome to my marvelous year, the comic book reading club, where we cover all of Marvel's comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and I've got on the line today Dave Busing, founder and editor of Comic Book Herald. And Dave, did you notice yes. something different about me today? Besides You're that, I'm very screaming high like a maniac, <laughs> shouting yeah. in my ear like a like a no, Looney Tunes character. But what else? Something physically. Uh, you your hair looks similarly long. Um. Oh, you shaved. Yeah, yeah. I shaved. And I have to tell you something. While yeah. I was shaving, I was looking in the mirror. I was shaving, I was shaving, and I got down to just a mustache. Uh-huh. And I looked up. You know it what I the saw month. looking back at me in the mirror? <laughs> Hopefully not Charlie Chaplin. Dave Busing. With just a mustache. AKA my new dad. So you with a mustache, you think, makes makes you feel like you look splitting, like me? Splitting. What's happening? Splitting image of Dave Busing, founder and editor of Comic Book Herald. I'm so saying, the phrase the phrase is spinning image. So I like that you used splitting because there's a big oh, split true? between your mental <laughs> vision of what you look like <laughs> and reality. Oh, That's you didn't sure. see it. I'm telling you, it yeah. was spot on. Well, I which is funny because I don't have be a like, mustache. Uh, it doesn't right? matter. It didn't. It just you know it, it unlocked that memory for me. So it, the memory. Dad, what memory is this? That you are my dad. That and time you, you were. Me that time I was your dad. Ago? Yeah. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. Big reveal on the Marvel for, Comics of for, 1978 for like, Part 2. Yeah, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Pretty sure that makes me the all-daddy, if, if there was any debate at this yeah. point in time. Um, I'm ki- yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that joke being over. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Fair enough. Speaking of over, we're wrapping up 1978 today, Part 2. We're going through some comics, including big Uncanny X-Men stories, big Amazing Spider-Man stories, big Fantastic Four stories, some tiny Marvel team-ups and what-ifs. If you are looking for the comics to read along with here for My Marvelous Year Reading Club, you can find them in the show notes of the podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review if you are so inclined and enjoying the content. And uh, where else can you find the list? You can go on over to patreon.com slash year for one of the easiest, most up-to-date places to find all the comics we're reading together as, as, as pals, I would say. Father and son. <laughs> As one big group of father and sons. Yep. Um, all right. Which Before we start, before yeah. we start, I want to prime some people. 1978 is the year... Ooh, oh, I had these issues numbered in front of me, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't anymore. Um, Balder, in Thor comics, goes through a whole big thing here Yeah, that will be referenced in a big way when we get to the Simonson run. When we get to the Simonson-Thor run a couple of years from now... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole big, like, I, I, cause I've read that run out of context or I've read like the first 20 comics in that out of context. Do you know what I'm sure. talking about? I don't want to spoil it. I you. do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that gets referenced at the beginning of the Simonson run happens. There's like three issues here. Actually, give, give me 30 seconds so I can just find it and say it out loud now. Cause I think some people will want to read those. Uh, and do, do, do. this is a hard sell. 
This is no, a hard no, no. sell. I, I haven't read ba- them this yet. balder uh, okay. content you've been craving, baby. Yes, yes. yes. I I don't it's think it's Thor- super necessary. But I don't I think, think it's, it's interesting. You, you get you get the gist of it, but like it does feel like whoa, what happened to Balder? <laughs> sure, this. it's a. It yeah. starts in Thor two seventy four. It's happening this year. I think it was to two seventy six. Um, so you, when you read it, you'll know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you just want to, well, read or that you won't until, because you haven't read the Simonson run yet. If you're playing along with the club. No, no, but I mean, like, you'll be like, oh, this is the event he's talking about. It's kind of a big thing, you know? It's not just, like, Thor fights a man in a wheel, which is a villain I saw that is in 1978. Did you, do you know what I'm talking about? Big Wheel or something? Big Wheel is he's a Spider-Man. big deal. That's a, that's Listen, Spider-Man if Big comic. Wheel started earlier than Stiltman, there's a chance that our entire religion <laughs> would be changed in the M Y club. All the big people Wheel's in the wild. Slack would be like, rolled B. <laughs> <laughs> and like the spokes have spoken there's still time there's still time to make big wheel a, a appropriately big deal <laughs> let's get into some comics let's talk yeah, first about the the first items on our reading list marvel team up number 69 and 70 yes. this is by chris claremont and john Byrne. creative duo doing a lot together we're going to do some marvel team up comics they do and then a big old uncanny x-men story now marvel team up it's fascinating every time we talk about it to me because, one, it's this extension of the claremont Burn partnership, which I think mm-hmm. often gets reduced to, not reduced, but like critically acclaimed for their X-Men work. But then there's this whole other world of Iron Fist and Marvel Team-Up and, and other stuff. Um, and Marvel Team-Up is, it's like kind of a X-Men spinoff at this point. Like there's like we read some Captain Britain stuff in the last go round that comes around eventually. Um, there's just, there's a lot of threads between like their work together outside of X-Men and the actual Uncanny X-Men comics we know. This one in particular is a story about Havoc, Polaris, two characters who we don't see a ton of in Uncanny, especially at this point in time, who are off on their own adventure. And of course, because this is his book, it's a team up with the amazing Spider-Man. And as the case may be in this one, like kind of an Avengers team up also. Yeah, Thor comes in for for 70. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I think the reason Claremont Burner talked about X Men is that is like clearly the standout work, right? Like I think oh, there's no Power question Man and better. Iron Fist is good ish. <laughs> I think Marvel Team Up is good ish, but like they feel like good, competent, workman like comics from this era. Like oh, that's a solid B of a 1978 comic, maybe B plus. Where X Men's B plus seems firing. generous. Yeah, maybe I think uh, X Men is firing at a much like higher level. Than these, and I think that's why it's remembered. But they are interesting, like curiosities, because I mean, they're also is Burn on uh, Miss Marvel as well, or is that just Claremont? That's no. just Claremont. No, Claremont. Anyway, Cockrum. I just want to say this is the year that John Byrne really finally like clicks for me. Like his X Men work here, I think, is impeccable. I'm really, really loving John Byrne now. Um, specifically teamed with Claremont. I think the two of them are like just starting to really gel. Everyone's yeah. hitting their stride. But we'll talk about. X-Men when we get there, but... Um, well, what's first... your... I don't think we need to say a ton about these oh, two I, issues. I need to say something, which is the opening panel is Lorna Dane and Alex Summers walking uh, walking romantically down the beach. Sure. While in the foreground, hiding behind a bunch of rocks, are three Egyptian pharaohs waiting to <laughs> ambush them. <laughs> yep, that <laughs> sounds like, right. Man, don't you hate it when uh, you get a pharaoh infestation and they're just well, sneaking around? That's what happens when you're dealing with the living pharaoh. Now, the living pharaoh is is deeply connected to Alex Summers. Alex Summers' cosmic energy, his <laughs> yeah, cosmic you power. You know, like, that way that makes perfect sense that you would be like, oh, yeah, that that I get that. that one you look at Havoc, you say... Has a, a deep connection with a living pharaoh. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and definitely, like, the X-Men, who is in no way themed with with old cultures or Egyptian anything, you think, yeah, it's probably him. But really, it's just based on his power set. You know, his cosmic energy yep. powers yep. the living pharaoh. And we'll see by the end of issue 69, it transforms him. So he goes from living pharaoh to living monolith, which mm-hmm. means he is giant-sized and mad about it. Um, These characters, these stories are always like, on the periphery of of my understanding of the Marvel universe, like I know they're a thing. It's something that like it's just kind of this. I, what's the word? It's like an arch enemy relationship that is so so like not super important <laughs> that I know it's out there, but it never really matters much. Because there's even You're talking like a, about Pharaoh and Havoc, Havoc and the Living Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to even define like what a story would be like today. 
that made this super interesting. You know, it what would I mean? just be like if uh, you know, throughout thirty years of Marvel history, Moon Dragon and Mole Man were arch enemies. That sounds like, amazing. It, in the background <laughs> of the Avengers, like neither of them, you know, it's not like Moon Dragon has her own series, but for whatever reason, <laughs> Moon Dragon and Mole Man are, uh, you know, always at each other's throats. Yeah, Speaking no, of totally. Which, where is Mole Man? We haven't seen him in sixteen years. I'll give you, I'll give you one guess, and it better be Subterranea. Go ahead. Try to guess. <laughs> He's under the ground, man. He's where he always is. He can't okay. come up here. He'd get sun in his eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so these are fine. Uh, Let's I do like a quick recap of, of Alex and Lorna because it's been a minute since we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Alex uh, Summers Lorna... is the brother of Cyclops. Yeah. Yep, Lorna yep. Dane is his girlfriend, and she is not yet revealed to have any familial lineage to anyone we know, I think. Well, how's I mean, that, how's that a way of saying loaded. I don't want to spoil pr- who she might be? That's pretty loaded, considering like what her power set is. But also, I don't think is that going to be some big like she's oh Polaris. My God, we never saw this coming. Yeah, yeah, she's Polaris, and guess what? She can control metal and magnetism. So again, like like with Mole Man, try to guess where he is. Try to guess who Lorna might be connected to in the world of X Men. Um, but they're you know they're they're together. They're kind of taking a sabbatical from the X Men, and and that is where we find them. I like Alex as a. A sort of foil for Scott Summers because mm-hmm. they aren't super close brothers. They yeah. they tend to be more at odds with each other than not. Um, I like them in that context. I think like a solo quote unquote havoc story like we get here, although he's mostly just tied up, um, is a tough sell for me personally. But you know, this is this is kind of the deal that they have with this living pharaoh. Again, like you said, Spider Man, the Avengers all come in to fight the living pharaoh. They eventually defeat him, like you'd expect. Like you said, this is this is a pretty average kind of where we're at in the '70s comic, and yeah. it's I think like we we talked last time I believe about our excitement for like the 1980s kicking off. I was definitely feeling that in this batch where it's like we're at the tail end of the Bronze Age here. The Marvel Universe needs a kick in the pants. Um, yes, it it yes, needs yes, yes. it needs some life, and we get a little bit of that in X Men. But otherwise, like there's some fun stuff here and there. You know, there are moments I enjoy, but it's not hot right now well you know what it is i think part of it i think it's that you know how i just called everything like workmanlike i don't, I don't mean that in a really degrading way but i know i know like I, I hear you though a large amount of their comics are just like we got to put out a comic each month in this series because they're selling well so like all right uh it's gonna be spider-man versus ooh, uh who's it gonna be okay a wheel uh and we'll have him you know <laughs> aunt may will be sick and it just kind of feels like a little uninspired a little just kind of going through the motions for these which is like they're getting better at just going through the motions but they're not like they don't feel like individual creative works right it's not like someone's like all right i have a big vision for iron man and i want to see it through right like i've got an idea for this character and we're gonna you know keep innovating with iron man it's like yeah it is monster it's, it's monster of the week stuff you know you know what and actually i like the word you use there because it's going it's going to become so much more apparent in the 80s is vision is creator-driven vision for a character, for a series, and for a tone, because that is that is part of what makes Marvel output in the 1980s that you and I both know we are going to enjoy. Claremont's vision right. for the X-Men, Burns' vision for Fantastic Four, not Alpha Flight, Frank Miller's vision for Daredevil, Walt Simonson's vision for Thor, all of our visions for Stiltman, wherever he may be in the 1980s, right? These things are... All are super important. Wish, who, who writes Avengers in the eighties? A uh, number of people: Roger Stern, oh, well, Tim Shooter, um, Walt Simonson writes a really fun run. We're going to get to later. I, ju- I just want to do the point? joke of like you know Roger Stern's vision of Vision. You know that's a better if you had just thrown that out there. That actually totally works because he writes. I just a story didn't know Absolute I, Vision. I just didn't know who the writer for Avengers was, so I couldn't make that joke. You could have, you know, and I, you held back, and J- Zach, it was a solid joke. Oh, thank it, w- you. it would have been. The potential of that joke is still among <laughs> us. Anyway, <laughs> Vision is important. Not the character. He's not in these stories. But Vision of Creators is important. And, and a lot of that we don't really have right now. What we have instead is, like you're saying, is a lot of recycling. Spider-Man and Fantastic Four in particular, a lot of yeah. recycling, right? Yeah, There's just yeah. that feel of like, yeah, you're keeping the ball rolling. You're doing it in yep. a workmanlike fashion. But it's not. But this isn't Madam Web, right? Like <laughs> It's not totally not doing- new. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Though, to new, be fair, but not they totally did premiere new. Big Wheel this year, 
And it is a man in a wheel that fights Spider-Man. And we are kind of overlooking that. That happens in like Spider-Man 181 or 182. It's one of it's the ones we skipped. It's 181 because I think it's right after the story yeah. we're going to read. You know, we might no, have no, to go it's, back it's and No, no, it's not. It's two after. It's 182. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So take back everything I just said. <laughs> Transformation yeah, is occurring yeah. at a rapid rate. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, I think, the book that is doing the most, certainly historically, yep. uh, is recognized yep. as doing the most, Uncanny X-Men. So this is written by Chris Claremont, art by John Byrne. For the club, we read Uncanny X-Men number 112 through 116. This Which is I think your is regular every reminder. issue from 1978, because to... it's still bi-monthly. Is that, is that is right? Is that correct? Can I just make that up? That does not sound right, but uh, but I'll take it. Well, because 117 is 179, because we're definitely time to look up to see going to... Um, the truth. We're definitely going to read that next year because I had to check that. You're real frozen. Can you hear me? It's definitely not true. Okay. No. One twelve came out in August, which runs all hey, the can you way hear me? to yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm still talking to uh, just talking to the okay. fans by myself while you cut out for a while. Yeah, I was. I kept um, going too, so that'll be interesting. Okay. Yeah, to December. So. Um. So wait, anyway. we did it. One twelve is the start of the year. No, no, no. It's August to December. Okay, so that I'm makes totally more sense. Because what I was saying is 117 is quite important, and we are definitely reading that as part of 1979's comics. Yes. For 1978, though, these stories are Magneto Triumphant, which is a big one, and I would say the best piece of work that we are going to talk about today. And then that spirals into um, kind of a Savage Land story. Zach, you've been probably Chris Claremont's harshest critic of all time. Mm-hmm. What did you think about? <laughs> yeah, Magneto I do kind Triumphant. of feel alone in this corner of just being like, yeah, he writes, uh, you know, seven point five, maybe eight out of ten comics, and people are like flipping desks and do you, you know, think bricks through my window every time I do you say think your expectations were too high? No, for him coming no. in like some sort of some sort of savant. No, I mean I've already read this before, so I already knew what to expect. Um, no, I just think like I just don't think the big the beginning of it's very good. I don't know. I don't think it's not very good. I just don't think it's excellent. I think the beginning of this is like really good ideas, and he's still kind of clunking his way through it, and like it's still pretty wordy. It doesn't flow great, but I think this is a uh, this is definitely the best. Year. Like every year has been an improvement since seventy five. And this do you is, think like, it's comparatively excellent for where Marvel's at? I don't even think it's like comparatively excellent to the de- the what is it O'Neill. Um, Dennis stuff. Is that right? Dennis? <laughs> Danny O'Neill, Neil Adams? De- Danny O'Neill, Neil Adams. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like right around the same quality, if not slightly worse than that stuff. I like that stuff slightly more. Like huh. uh, up till this point, I'm going to say 78 is when it switches. And this is the best X-Men we've ever read. Because I love okay. this. I thought this was great. I think John Byrne does so much good work in like letting the stuff breathe in a way that Dave Cockrum didn't. Like I felt way overcrowded reading Dave Cockrum's artwork. And John Burns just like well, you were reading know. it in that storage closet. I don't That's think that true. helped. You were yeah, really yeah, yeah. cramped trying to look at that tablet. Yeah, yeah, under a pile of blankets. It just it was suffocating me. Yeah, yeah. I think his artwork's really nice and crisp and clear here, and he does uh, he does his layouts really nicely in a way that flows. Um, and I think Chris Claremont is somewhat become becoming a little restrained in how like <laughs> verbose he is i don't Not know about quite. that <laughs> well there, there is one part here where like uh, magneto takes them down into this volcano base and it's like 12 panels of narration just saying like magneto lowers them into a volcano yeah he protects them with a bubble and he just has to go into like so much detail um yeah no i think this is great i really liked it uh even like, I mean, it's a testament to how good this is that I thought the Savage Land stuff was good because I don't like the Savage Land. Like, I think the Savage Land's pretty dull every time we've been there, and I still thought this was very good because his characterization of these people, the like dialogue between them, is really good. He's finding really interesting human moments to highlight. You know, yeah. Uh, so I don't the, think John the story Byrne begins still... with Magneto, like it's a Magneto versus X Men fight, more or yep. less. Oh, also the best Magneto story we've read. This is this is the best Magneto, I think for sure. I think, and it's I, it's kind of a continuation of where he's been, which is super bitter and embattled that he was turned into a baby and kept in <laughs> Moira's Muir Island Research Center. Yes. Which every time he references it, it's like, yeah, he should be messed up about this, but also it's just like stop reminding everybody that like you yeah. Know. There's a good chance Moira McTaggart was breastfeeding you two weeks ago. Yeah, like it's it's a wild thing to have to keep reminding people. That said, <laughs> he's quite mad about it. And as a result, so he like, he whoops on the X-Men again. You know, like he beats them all up. 
And in the course of doing so, because and, and kind of the argument that's been set up a few times now is this X-Men unit still doesn't really know how to fight as a team. Um, yep. Plus, like Wolverine and Colossus are famously bad against Magneto, but they're still in the figuring it out portion of, of their careers, you know? Yes. Yep. Like Wolverine's like, let's rush him. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> oh, no, you have metal claws and Colossus is obviously just useless. Um Magneto puts them all in a pretty horrific prison here in his Antarctic base, which is he hooks them up to this device that will keep them fully aware of who they are and and everything they know as an adult, but will reduce them to the sort of slobbering state of an infant physically. And then he has this robot, Nanny, who is one of the creepiest characters, I think, yeah, in Marvel. It- she is like she's like a mommy who um she doesn't do anything evil, but it's just like it's just like someone forcing forcing um infantile behavior and thinking on you when you just want yeah. to be free. Yeah, yeah, she talks about like putting a bow into beast's hair and, you know, like putting them all down for nap time. It's pretty good. I just want to say I had a really good Sephiroth joke planned for this uh, you know, they go into a crater at the the top of the world and I had a Sephiroth joke planned out that I didn't get to cuz you You're saying it over that it. like it means something. Yeah, well, whatever. 99% of our fans are going to be like hell yeah and what are you ta- what are you talking about <laughs> what is the word you are saying it's a that's the final fantasy 7 joke oh okay yeah. okay the, the end of that game you go into a big crater at the north the northernmost point of the world to find yeah. the villain like waiting at the bottom of a big dormant volcano it was going to be so funny and everyone would be la- just laugh like i told the joke well uh, you've told you've told basically. two very funny stories about jokes that you could have told today <laughs> well <laughs> so you know I'm what's sure funny telling great. a joke or explaining in depth how a joke would be funny yeah definitely definitely the latter yeah. um okay so yeah, so that's where the X Men are trapped is in this Antarctic base with Nanny and Magneto, and there's kind of seems like there's no way out until Storm <laughs> sorry, busts sorry. with Nanny and Magneto. That's what I call my grandmother is Nanny. So I just I got a real quick flash of like <laughs> your grandmother and very Magneto, evil supervillain team of my grandmother and Magneto. My 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 love of my grandmothers is is sure, but were they also just hanging with Magneto a lot of the time? Boy, would it escalate. Um, we get a really nice scene in this in this prison of Storm being the one who ultimately rescues the X-Men because she has incredible lockpick skills. Yep. Do you yep, want to yep. talk about Storm being awesome here? Yeah, so we get, I mean, I don't know if we've gone into it, but her background is that she was raised as a child thief. Yeah. Kind of like, a, like an Oliver Twist, um, what's his name, Fagan? No. Carl Sagan. Yep. Uh, you know uh, how Oliver Twist was turned into a child thief by Carl Sagan, famously. Right. And she, uh, yeah, she like with her hands bound, pulls lockpicks out of lockpicks out of her headdress, which is very cool that she keeps those up there. The Does thing she is, catch one on her big... tongue. I have a vision in my head of of one of them being on her tongue. Yeah, yeah. She picks it up with her mouth and tries to like pick the lock with her mouth. Right. The thing is that you get this whole tense scene that works really, really well. Of her trying to pick the lock with her mouth. And then Nanny comes in and basically is like, oh, you dropped your headdress and like puts it back on and she fails and she's exhausted. We cut away. And demoralized. Is like, huh? And demoralized. Because she's like, that was my chance. And she feels like she blew it because she dropped one of the locks. (laughs) But then we cut away. Magneto's like, oh, no, there's alert at the base. He comes back to the base from his asteroid. He also has an asteroid base. Yeah, BTW, Magneto has asteroid M, his his asteroid base. We'll get to that in a second. But he shows (laughs) back up, and all the X-Men are free, and they're like, Storm freed us. And it was the weirdest thing. It would be like if you had this, you know, like, I don't know, the great escape, right? You had this all this tension and build up to them escaping. They fail. You yeah. cut to outside the base, and now they're free. You just missed it. It was off camera. It's a very strange story, Joyce. It's probably the strangest cut. Um, you totally I, reading it. I'm just like, ah, sure, <laughs> it'll right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, she yeah. figured it out, but it's actually not shown. It does feel like a page or two is missing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the X Men do get free thanks to Storm, and from there. We get they, another Magneto. fight that is like basically the same exact fight, except they work together a little better. And this time they knock the whole complex. They, they like flood the complex with lava and they escape in two separate groups. And this is important that Jean Grey and Beast uh, burst their way out into the snow in Antarctica and are rescued yeah. by Charles Xavier. And, and we haven't mentioned them, Beast here is I don't know if he's formally left the Avengers yet. Do we 
Did we get that yet? But he's like, uh, basically, he's like coming know. back to his X-Men roots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the rest of them come out a cave into the Savage Land, and each group think the other group is dead, right? Yeah. So Gene is mourning Scott and the rest of them. Scott is not not even not mourning Gene. He's just like, I literally feel nothing about this. <laughs> and it is. He says, uh, he feels a little, a little. No, torn he feels about it. No, no, he feels bad that he doesn't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I think he literally says that he feels bad about Beast and he feels nothing about Jean Grey, which is... He's a little emotionally stunted, I think we can say, about Scott but at Beast, this point in time. he feels bad. He feels depressed about Beast being dead, but not... Like, I fell out of love with Jean Grey when she turned into the Phoenix. I now no longer care if she lives or dies. <laughs> it's yeah. very it's very strange. No, I really like it, though. I think that's, like, a really interesting character choice that feels like something we've never seen in Marvel Comics, right? Like, Yeah, it's not typical. Uh, and then I, I really like that it is um, contrasted with Wolverine, who is feeling emotional about Jean Grey. He pulls out a picture of Jean Grey, and he's really choked up about Jean Grey being supposedly dead. Yeah, I always um, kind of forget, and I've said this too, like how how into Jean Wolverine is right away. Um, but, the, but the way he talks about their relationship, which is completely non-existent at this point, you know, certainly at least on a, a romantic scale. Um, but he's, you know, he's looking at the picture of Gene like, oh, I had such plans for us, Genie. It's like there, there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all in his head and it is, it's, it's softening Wolverine from the, the madman with claws that, yeah, he feels... you know, is in action, but it's, it's not real it's not a two-way street i guess i should say yeah yeah the, wolverine now feels like the they've leveled out like he's not just a psychopath who's just like you know pass me the turkey oh i i just finished off the turkey and he pulls out his claws you know <laughs> like just that overreaction to like ready to kill at any moment for yeah. no reason um yeah because he gets a lot of interesting moments here where like he talks to kazar and people are like you can talk to animals they kind of make it seem like he can actually talk to animals and not just that he has like a way with animals um which you can float then... out there at this point because his power set is is still relatively mysterious i do want to mention before we go further into the story that this is kind of a this is kind of a familiar or will become a familiar approach to X-Men comics. Um, mm-hmm. And part of what makes them somewhat interesting is this like splitting up of teams or of of certain portions of them kind of going their own way and then yeah. staying their own way for a decent chunk of time. Yes. So like Gene and the Beast, they escape Antarctica. They're rescued miraculously by helicopter. And they go back and tell Professor X like the team is dead. And that's going to be their story for a while, right? Like, they're going to live that life for a while, whereas the rest of the X-Men crew, the sort of all-new, all-different core lineup, is going to be trying to make their way back. So, like, these these splits don't get undone as quickly as I think they would be in a lot of other yeah, Marvel titles right. at the time. Like, previously, this would be an issue, and then at the end of the issue, they would reunite. Yeah. Like, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because it, 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 just... it gives some more emotion to it, because it it lasts for a period of time. You get to let them live in that world. Well, that yeah, that's interesting because it's not just like they split up and now, you know, Scott Summers and Wolverine's story is just mourning Jean Grey and then they reunite. It's like they go off and have their own adventure while also this new status quo is happening. Right. Right. So it's like he kind of lets the story diverge and then he also tells new stories within that context that don't necessarily have to do with you know, him thinking that Jean Grey and Beast are dead, which is something I, I feel like having that kind of uh, being able to juggle different like plots is something that Claremont's going to be really good at. Yes. Uh, and he is definitely. good at it here. Absolutely. So once they get to the Savage Land, um, we get kind of this is the Savage Land story. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, this is definitely uh, the X-Men animated series. You know, part of me is like, oh, yeah, I know this one. And it's a it's a big story about Sauron. The um, oh, you're, you're vampiric forgetting dinosaur. Scott shaving and getting a mustache. <laughs> and while he's doing this, looking this into incredible, the water incredible. and thinking, wait just a minute, that looks like Corsair. So he shaves, <laughs> gives himself a mustache, and in doing so, sort of pieces together that Corsair. Who his real dad is. Yeah, oh, it's his so real dad. funny. Yeah. It's such a good way of like, and also just like, why is Chris Claremont being like, now, now's the time I want him to realize who his dad is. You know, you know like, you say that, and I thought the story. same thing, but it's kind of it's kind of that juggling plots thing that he does yeah, so no, well. It's, it's is fine. like seeding like, something that seems it feels unrelated, but it's not because we know big it's good. picture. It's, I mean, it's a surprise, but it, like it doesn't. It's not a jarring surprise. Like it's not just like what what are you doing? This is 
doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, I mean, it's a little silly, but like it works. I, it yeah, doesn't need I, to be. I, it's obviously not. There's no dramatic irony in the reveal. We know the answer. It's already been told to us. Yeah, explicitly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's still a reveal for Scott. So he kind of just tosses it in there. <laughs> like, when should yeah, he figure I this really out? Like uh, how about when he's looking in the lake in the Savage Land? You know, it's like, eh, why not? You know what John Byrne's good at? Uh, creating Canadian superhero teams. Drawn capes. His capes are top-notch. When Magneto was like, oh, also, Magneto's power set is off the walls. He can kind of do whatever he wants. <laughs> Magneto yeah. can do anything, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, like, when Magneto is floating down into his base, his cape billows so good. When Storm bursts up into the sky with those, like, kind of, it's not exactly a cape. I don't know. that She's got a pin to her wrists. She looks so good. I feel like Storm has never looked cooler than in the Savage Land story. You, you liked her... Um barely anything there skimpy no cloth. no that was dumb and bad i was just gonna ignore dumb that. and bad it seemed practical except yeah, i know uh, she, she no talks else about like oh do you like my that? new outfit they gave me some robes and it's like they literally gave you some scraps of cloth that barely fit over your breasts <laughs> like i do i, I do I appreciate see that they just tore it in half yeah i do appreciate banshees just like completely flummoxed by storm walking, walking out like, half naked yeah. it's like oh dear lassie how, uh, yeah you look fine can't there's just tell? like three three panels of you know you just hear like ching cash register noises his eyeballs hello nurse like <laughs> yeah 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 it's really gross yeah um it, again this is just like storm's thing for a while and it kind of sucks cause you mentioned do... you mentioned the problems with this in terms of yeah, the hypersexualization of is... of storm particularly as a uh, a black woman and Definitely, that is something that you will notice in these issues. And if it was a problem for you before, eh, that's the wrong way to phrase it. Um, if you see the the issues with it, like before, it's definitely hit harder here. And I think we'll yeah. continue yeah, yeah. to be. So that that's a piece of, of you this know what? history, I, definitely. I mean, I would mind it in the way that I'm just like, okay, well, I don't need to be like, you know, titillated by my X-Men comics, but like, I wouldn't be offended by it if it was like pretty uniform, you know, like if. This was also Lorna Dane got her cheesecake shots and Jean Grey got her cheesecake shots, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think the one argument, I don't even want to come on the side, but like the argument there is just she's the only woman <laughs> on the team. Um, trust me, well, the X-Men. Grey, will, though, that's what I'm saying. Like, but she's not Jean with them. The X-Men will do yeah, the yeah. cheesecake shots of everyone. Don't eventually. You worry. Eventually. You know what I mean? Like, like era, is that better or worse? It, this era, it's just it's very much just Storm. That's I think that's the kind of the issue. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Um, so Soren Storm shows also up. He's a vampiric like, dinosaur. Uh, they met, we met him yeah. before in uh, in the a pretty good Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill stories we were talking about. I, I don't know and, why uh, I like him. He he's I've come around. I really didn't like him the first time I read through the club, and I've changed face about him because uh, yeah, I really think he's a fun character here. Well, and I think what makes him more interesting here is so Soron, and they do the whole recap of those stories we read. Jeez, was that I think it was nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, um, a while ago. In Uncanny, like towards its towards the end of its run there. But he's uh like has a human alter ego, Carl Lycos. And last we saw Carl was him like jumping to his death. But actually what happens is he like more or less fell to the Savage Land, he's rescued by Kazar, and the turn here in Uncanny X Men is Sauron's not our villain. Um, he's vampiric and in his dinosaur form, he can kind of like hypnotize and, and like suck out the life force of others, but actually he's like kind of befriended Kazar or rather Carl Lycos has. So he becomes almost anti-heroish here in that he's kind of on the side of the X-Men. The actual threat, the actual villain is this strange mythological force known as Garak in this sort of temple of, of high priestess and, and, acolytes who are all um working against like kazar and his people in the savage land yeah the petrified man stuff comes in here later too uh i had read about the petrified man a while ago he is a weird nothing of a character it's like a man who is turned into a god yeah he's like this immortal petrified man uh and i don't really know what his motivations are i don't fully understand him yeah he's probably the least interesting part of this story as a villain and it's the more interesting like part complex city here like he's taking over the savage land with this like technological city which I, the thing is like i don't think this is interesting or even really worth recapping but the fact that the claremont like claremont writes still a good interesting x-men story around what is a boring plot uh i think is kind of uh is, is worth noting yeah and i think the parts here that are important or that i like um we officially learn 
and the team officially learns that Wolverine has, if not a healing factor, the ability to heal quickly. And we learn <laughs> yeah. this because he punches a dinosaur in the mouth. Yeah, well, he <laughs> inside puts, his, of its he puts mouth. his fists in its mouth and then extends his claws, but it bites down on him. And he's just like, I ah, don't worry, I heal quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, R.I.P. Um, Ortheomimus. <laughs> we hardly knew ye. <clears throat> But yeah, so the X-Men, they they help out Kazar and his folks. This is a recurring theme, being on friendly terms with good old Kevin Plunder. And I think that's more or less where we end at the end of 116 is the X-Men kind of trying to make their way out of the Savage Land. Yeah, they get on a boat and it's like, the X-Men face a big storm. How will this play out? Then there's this <laughs> panel of like a really oversized Aurora Monroe. It seemed like a really on the nose pun. I don't know that I appreciated it. Um, but 117 is going to be important and we'll see I that get it. in... What do you, Aurora Monroe? Oh my gosh. Oh my G. Anywho. No, no, I don't get next it. Next up, I know you don't, and I'm embarrassed for you. Next up, Amazing Spider-Man number 176 to number 180. This is, I, I feel like every time we talk about Spider-Man in the 70s, we're talking about this. It's the return of the wait, Green Goblin. Wait, are you just saying that there's like a pinup of Storm? Oh my gosh. Was that it, the joke? All right. I feel like the, there's something else there. We're going to take is, a break some, here. Okay, here's the thing about your jokes where you're like, oh, I always have to explain my jokes. It's because they're bad jokes and you have to explain them to me because they're barely jokes. And so I'm here's like, I don't thing. get it. I won't even defend. I don't, I won't even defend the joke. I don't disagree. It's a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> but joke that is, is not the point. Strongly. Okay. That is not the point. Hi, guys. Dave and Zach here to tell you a little about a special product we're selling today. Zach, please share more details. Oh, my, you are really good at improv. I think this is definitely like I was actually reading. I don't know if you could tell. I was reading. If off you of uh, if you go to like you know I O or uh, Second City in Chicago to take an improv class, mm-hmm. first thing they tell you is say, "All right, when you set up a scene." Come up with the prompt and then immediately tell your partner to fulfill the prompt. <laughs> and do they do they hold up the cards in front of you? Because I don't know if I could do it if they don't. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay, so what are we selling? I am selling... What do you mean we're selling? We're not selling anything. No, the whole point of this is what I'm buying with your Patreon dollars. And what I'm buying is vinyls for a vinyl player I do not own. Uh, I just got. Is that a thing? You're collecting yeah, just... vinyls for. Uh, you don't have a player still. So, Disasterpiece, uh, their album Rise of the Rise of the Obsidian Interstellar, which is my favorite album by him, mm-hmm. just put out like a limited pressing of like 500 of them or something. Mm-hmm. And I have aspirations to one. I actually have a bunch of vinyls because I used to have a record player, um, but I haven't had one in a long time. Uh, but I bought it because I have aspirations to own a record player again one day. And I was like, well, I'll buy it now and I'll have a record player someday. So I just got it in the mail and it's very cool. Uh, so that so is that... the product we are we are hucking today is no, we have a it's... Patreon. It's over on yeah, patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. If you want to support the show and support Zach's dream of one day owning an actual vinyl player to play all of these records he's <laughs> Right now I just stare at the uh, the actual grooves and just imagine what the sounds like. Oh man, that sounds that sounds so thrilling, Zach. I can't imagine. But if oh, you want to oh, support wait, wait, us, wait. how about this? I spin the record around and I put my fingernail down in the grooves and then I open my mouth and the sound comes oh! out. <laughs> Just squeal. <laughs> I was making a Lilo and Stitch reference to see if you would watch the movie yet. I still haven't seen Lilo and Stitch. I I honestly, since you've recommended it, have made minimal effort to do so. But one person actually got mad at me twice. for uh, recommending that in the Slack. They were just like, why has no one put Zach on blast for recommending such a mediocre movie? <laughs> yeah, fair question. No, fair they're wrong. It's a really enough. good movie. You know what I am watching um, huh. is uh, Darkwing Duck. Watching again with my son. Oh, love it's on Disney Plus. No, actually, we started. We have all. We have it all on on disc, and we started watching it before Disney Plus. And then I'm like, all these people talking about it. I'm like, man, I got here first. I was here before it was cool. Now it's cool on Disney Plus. Uh, but yeah. yeah, if you want, this is a really long <laughs> and, and directionless interlude. Um, if you want to support the That's show, the point. you can go on over to patreon.com slash year. It'll help Zach and I continue to do this thing that we enjoy doing and will help us, um, you know, like uh, over time, get better equipment, keep up Actually, with storage and expenses. You know what I want? And promote the club. You know what I, well, yes, that's true, promotion. What I want even more than Patreon dollars is word of mouth. If you could tell somebody that you think would like the club, have a friend who you want to read comics with, 
spread the word because I think that like we uh, uh our Patreon has actually been growing, but our like listenership is like growing at a much slower rate. Uh, and I think because we don't advertise or anything. So the only way to really get this out there in a significant manner is for people to, you know, kind of spread the word. You see people asking for comic recommendations or podcasts online, on Reddit, wherever. If you can just, you know, drop the word, keep us in mind. I think that would be really, really helpful. We'd really. Yeah. One thing that. we recommend is just drop your phone, like queue up our pod, play it, drop your phone somewhere. Somebody will pick it up. They'll listen. New listener. Right. That's how we yeah. want to get it out there, just however you can. Again, it's kind of like guerrilla marketing. Um, ooh, if you work at a retail store or something, if you're, uh, you know, you work at Gap, and it's like normally it's like, oh, we're going to play the newest trendy Feist album. Is, that, is she still a thing? I don't know. Feist uh, is huge in 2019. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know why Feist is the poll that I went to. I, I'm <laughs> Man, plugged into is modern it per music. Year? I don't know why Every Feist. best of the year list I see is heavy with Feist. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, but yeah, instead of Feist, you know, take that out and uh, plug in my marvelous here and just play it over the speakers for your it's, Gap customers. It's Muzak Sales to the shopper's ears. Oh my gosh. I've yeah. bought so many jeans during our recording session. You would not believe it. So thanks everybody for listening. And now back to the show. All right. Moving on from this, Spider-Man 176. We, I wish I'd paid attention so I could just literally say word for word what you were <laughs> saying before. Um, this is the return of the Green Goblin, aka Harry Osborn. Uh, and this is another Green Goblin story. Uh, it plays out very, very similarly to other Green Goblin stories we have read, yeah. where he knows who Spider-Man is. He's trying to take over Gangland, just like Norman did. Uh, Aunt May is in the hospital <laughs> after suffering a series of heart attacks. And this is the well, most let's, interesting let's thing. Well, let's yeah. back that up for a second. Yep, because, yep, yep. one, you're right. Like, if you're playing Green Goblin Bingo... It's, oh, trying to take over Crime World. Um, the only difference here is doing it against Silvermane, who's a gangster that will be around in the Marvel Universe and actually yeah. has been in the 70s Marvel already. Aunt May, she's sick and ill. That's constant. Let's, well, in let's these talk stories. about Aunt May. Aunt May, how does she get a heart attack, Zach? You tell me what she was doing, because <laughs> this is pretty awesome. She's all of a sudden like a protester activist, right? Yep. And she's at City Hall protesting the treatment of old people. The only real clue to what's going on here is that one of the signs says, old people have rights. <laughs> Which is That's right. right on the nose sign. Uh, she's there trying to get into the mayor's office and a, just a second, and a policeman struggles to take her sign away because she's like hitting a policeman with her sign. And then the cop kind of just slugs her. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something I never thought I'd see in a Spider-Man comic. Aunt May being punched by a cop. She starts to have a heart attack. Th okay, this issue is so confused about police and how it feels about them. Because it, uh, it, this cop, Aunt May hits with a sign. The I don't know. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say as an audience, you're typically rooting for the policeman who beats on the old woman protester? <laughs> Isn't that usually a pretty favorable position to take? Well, but the thing is that, uh, it goes, okay, yes, She the cop hits Aunt May, we're like, oh, this is a bad cop. He immediately is like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, like, I can't believe I did this, like, are you okay? He starts, like, tending to Aunt May. Peter Parker runs over, and at this point he sees Aunt May sick on the floor. He throws the cop aside, who immediately pulls his gun and is just like, I'm gonna shoot that teen in the back <laughs> for, for pushing me. Yeah. And then another cop comes over and is just like, no, look at it. Or look at him, you know, his aunt, his aunt's sick. Give him a break. Well, he's he also like, says, he must like, be super powered because right, he threw yeah. him so far. Well, there's that whole thing. But like, I just like that this cop goes from like, I'm going to punch this old lady. No, I feel bad about it. I'm going to shoot this teenager. Nah, I'm going to give him a break. And then the cops have a conversation at the end of this where they're just like, the, the cop who punched Aunt May is like, man, I'm going to remember her face for the rest of my life. And the other cop's like, ah, don't worry about it. We have a rough job and we have to make tough decisions sometimes. Cut. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why that, you know, it's just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that explains why a cop punched an old lady and almost shot a teenager. I mean, it's a pretty uniformly bad look for, yeah, for the men in fun. blue there. Well, um, there's another really funny scene with a cop where Peter Parker bursts in on a crime scene later here, and there's a policeman at the scene. <laughs> Peter's like, what happened here? The cop's like, oh, well, this is the doc the office of Dr. Hamilton. We suspect one of his patients came in and kidnapped him. It clearly seems like the evidence suggests that, hey, why am I saying this all to you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A really just a bit moment. of exposition. Yeah, um, the, yeah, things, really the things that I like about this story which is extensive, is really Aunt May protesting 
And throughout the whole thing, it's a classic Green Goblin's trying to get the criminals under his belt. And he teases he knows Spider-Man's identity as one of the hooks. So that's your other piece of Green Goblin bingo. The nice thing about the story is its twist ending, honestly, Um, which isn't like super exciting, but it's relatively well done. As far yeah, as twists go, it it's, it's not. Fun. So throughout this story, the Green Goblin has this prisoner in a chair, and they they have a bag over their head. We don't know who they are, and there's a build, and it, it is, builds, and it builds until it's strongly, finally, strongly suggested that you know the Green Goblin is Harry Osborn, and that the prisoner is his doctor, Doctor Hamilton. Right, and finally the the chair falls over, and the bag comes off, and it's Harry who's been tied up the whole time, and the Green Goblin reveal is it's Barry Hamilton, his psychiatrist, which is actually, like, as mysteries go, not a bad reveal. It's a character we could have known was it who wasn't super obvious. I mean, it Um, it got me. Like, I've read this before, and because I actually wrote in my note that I was annoyed how uh, I was writing that, I don't know, the complaint still makes sense. I was writing that I think it's obnoxious that, like, or I think it's unbelievable how good of a fighter Harry Osborn is, right? It's like they put on this costume, and all of a sudden they become, like, this incredible hand-to-hand combat artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what they call them, combat artists. <laughs> that, that term yeah. that people use. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but then I read later, and that actually makes more sense now, because this doctor just puts on a costume, and he becomes, like, someone who can single-handedly take down the mob. I mean, he has some tricks to his costume, but, like, also he just dodges their bullets, and it's kind of ridiculous. Well, uh, they don't really, really talk like... about Goblin formula. Which is a yeah, big no, thing no. That, that we associate now with the Green Goblin persona. Like no, that's what transforms just you the actually into the, super strength and power. The gimmicks, yeah, yeah. With in the absence of that, uh, it is quite the transformation. I really like the Green Gostum, the Green Gostum, the Green Goblin's costume. How he always has his purse with him. I think that's like one of the cutest details is that he always has this adorable little satchel with him while he's in the middle of a gotta, fight. Gotta gotta have something for your pumpkins. That's true, and his little ghost ghost bomb things i don't know um yeah so this is a pretty by the numbers green goblin story i think it's very good uh we didn't mention this is len ween and ross andrew on art mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unless you mentioned that earlier when i was zoning you out trying to think of your joke uh i just assume you're normally doing that but no i did not yeah. mention the details in this case okay. yeah so this story is just fine i think the really good amazing spider-man part of this is the five issue peter graduates college that we read in uh AMS 185. The story's really yeah. funny, and it's the, a nice, first it's a nice it Peter Parker slice of life. He's like fighting some villain we've never heard of, and it's not that interesting. But the second half with the graduation is very fun. Yes. Yeah. Their speaker is J. Jonah Jameson. The crowd oh groans. Oh my god, that is and that jeers. is the best part of this it's entire good year of comic all books. around. Like, what is the? I'm not going to stand up here and recite some tired old, you know, well worn. What does he call it? Say, uh, tired or tiled. Jesus, tired old cliches, and the audience is like, "Yeah, you're gonna invent some new ones." Like, <laughs> it's so yeah. Good. There's sass and Jonah. It's God. excellent. Even I love the caption he... boxes are working against Jonah here, where there's a yeah. cutaway that's like several hours later. <laughs> like his speech was clearly <laughs> way too long. It's pretty. And then amazing. Peter and Peter doesn't actually graduate because he's one gym credit short. Yeah, it's the most yeah. Peter Parker situation possible. He doesn't even get his diploma in this instance because he forgot to take his gym class. Yeah, yeah. I love that JJJ is like. I want him to commemorate every like big life event for Peter Parker. You know, like if he ever gets married, I want him to officiate. I want him to deliver Peter Parker's first child. Yeah. Gotta keep Jonah around. He's a, a great supporting character. But that's Amazing Spider-Man as we stand right now. And um, Spidey's not due for... Well, I won't I won't get ahead of myself. Speaking of recycling, <laughs> Fantastic Four, <laughs> number 197 to 200. This is a big Doctor Doom versus the Fantastic Four story. It is our first issue 200 um, in the Marvel Universe, so it's a big anniversary issue as well. I, again, even more so than Spider-Man, this is a pretty good story compared to what's around it and compared to what Fantastic Four has been, but mm-hmm. it all feels a bit too familiar, and it doesn't feel like it's doing... It doesn't feel momentous or like it's something you should yeah. remember particularly. No, I, I, I like the Spider-Man. I like whizzed through those Spider-Man issues. They were like very fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I don't think you're, like you said, I don't think they were, you know, big groundbreaking issues. I thought they were very solid Spider-Man issues. I don't know. For whatever reason, this was kind of a slog. Like most of this didn't work for me. And I was kind of just like, okay, yeah, it's, uh, it's Dr. Doom punching Reed Richards and like zapping him and Reed Richards 
wrapping himself around Doctor Doom, and I feel like I've seen this six or seven times already. I mean, so the big thing is that Doctor Doom is changing uh, Latveria from like a dictatorship to a not democracy, a uh, monarchy. <laughs> and he reveals that he has a son, which gives us one of the best lines in all of Marvel Comics, uh, which which I used this week when I was shaving. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was shaving and I looked at a picture of you and I looked back at my face and I said, kiss my zits. That creeps my pappy. Pretty sure that's a Ben Grimm line. It is definitely one of the better, <laughs> oh, it's, better it's Benjamin so J. Grimm lines when he realizes that Doom's a daddy. Uh, yep, yeah, that's yep. that's for sure. Yeah, I think the revelation here of Doom uh, cloning a son is pretty interesting. Uh, the revelation, and I'm not a revelation, but like the idea of freedom fighters within Latveria is always interesting to me, but rarely super compelling storytelling. Well, it doesn't work because like we know nothing about Latveria, right? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's some kind of brutal dictatorship. Like people seem relatively well off and like happy, just nervous around Doctor Doom. You know, no, like, we've seen a decent chunk of Doom as ruler in that area. I don't know. He's, he's clearly like... he's pretty clearly a dictator who who rules with an iron fist. I mean, we've seen people penalized, we've seen people killed at his behest, we've seen him treating servants like extremely violently. Um, it, I think we've gotten this. I mean, the visage I, I, that Doom wants to I portray think, like, is appropriate for a monarch, right? Like, oh, to- way more, way more. He's Doctor no, Doom no, is a no, super villain. No. I mean, yes. they are they are our <laughs> betters, and we should respect their you know their right, their prerogative to kick their lessers, which is I, us, Dave. I'm not saying I would behave in such a way against our, you, you our Lord and Emperor, I mean, Doctor Doom. I would never, but I can see uh, potentially. No, I can't. I can't even say that because he's listening. He's listening <laughs> right now. I no. I mean, I think yeah. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I, there's just not them. I mean, the the resistance is just like based around Doctor Doom is bad. We need to overthrow him, right? You don't get any sense of the actual like movement. It's just a guy with a a guy who looks like a James Bond villain, right? So like you're replacing Doctor Doom with someone who looks just as villainous as him. This yeah. big uh, eyeball contraption thing on him. Um, Keith Pollard and Joe Sonat are the ones writing and drawing this, and they're working in Kirby territory in a big way too. This uh, the art here is like very strongly Kirby. Mm-hmm. He's doing a, a lot of the uh, the big machinery and stuff. Uh, I don't have that much more to say about this. I think it's pretty forgettable, honestly. Um, yeah, the I'm best kind of disappointed. I I can't wait for Fantastic Four to pick up again because we haven't read much good '70s Fantastic Four, and it's going to be a little bit before. I think John Byrne, right? He revital re- revitalizes it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree there. The best parts here are so Doom has three of the four Fantastic Four members captured throughout throughout like almost the entire story. Uh, ben, Johnny, and Sue. Reed is the one who's kind of the rescuer. Um, he joins up with the Freedom Force to kind of come in and, and try to help them. So that's how we get to the big Doom versus Reed fight. I, the better parts ahead of that are Doom's really weird sort of plot, but also this idea that he would clone his son um, in order to achieve his own ends, but then also like destroy him. And the best part of the whole comic is wait, wait, Dr. Whoa, whoa, Doom's... Whoa, whoa. Have you not ever... You've never like cloned a son and then destroyed them when they didn't work out to achieve your own ends because that's like I, that's pretty common. I don't know. I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I like I go through three, four adult sons a year. Are you watching? Uh, are you watching Watchmen? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, just episode one. I haven't. Made me think yet. of that. Anywho, <laughs> I won't spoil that then. Uh, Doctor Doom has a sonic keyboard that is connected to his devices and instruments that he's using. So he's just like rocking out to some sonatas to some classical music and then when he finishes like it triggers whatever whatever thing he's doing Mm. technology wise i love images of doom hunched over a keyboard rocking out in order to like destroy the world i think that's hilarious it's very i don't know this ever happens in a bond movie you know i haven't seen a lot of them but like villains just like taking time out of their day to play classical music on an organ yeah is awesome to me yeah Yeah. so that's nice but otherwise yeah this is this is some good old recycled ff i think like the reed v doom showdown is meant to be powerful and i can think of instances where it is gets dragged out and it's supposed to be this big like you know finally the two of them come face to face and really you know hash out their problems mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, settle settle the the debt after all this time because they you know i guess one interesting thing is doom like confronts reed about you know 
admit it, you were the one who messed with the machinery that blew up in my face. Like, this was your fault, you're jealous of me, and Reed is, you know, saying, like, no, I tried to help you. Like, it was your own fault and Doom not being able to face that. We've kind of seen that before, but I guess it is nice to, like, hear that that it's still on Doom's mind, and that's, like, one of the reasons he's so bitter against Reed, is he can't believe that he was the one who messed up, that he believes that Reed must have sabotaged him. You know, I actually couldn't remember if that was codified in the original issues or not, um, the the belief that Reed screwed with his formula. No, I, I don't think so. I think this is maybe just brought up here. Yeah, because it's, it's a flashback, but maybe with a little embellishment, which I think uh, really works in terms of Doom's yeah, hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For Richards, uh, but yeah, and I mean, like ego that he wouldn't believe that he's that fallible. Right, exactly. The two of them fighting, it has meaning, it has weight. That said, it is drawn out too long, and I think when these fights happen, they the good versions tend to be quite a bit more inventive in how they are delivered. It can't just be <laughs> eight pages of of Reed like Reed twisting and turning, spaghetti armed, wrapping around Doom. Yeah, he did have a new trick here, which was oh, a yeah, a yeah. ball in a ball and spikes fist. Yeah, which I was that? like, is that is that hard or is that just like flat? Does it feel like flesh? Because like just cause presumably you made a it's rock spike hard. With your just letting that linger, huh? Yeah, uh, just because you made a spike with like you know out of your human flesh doesn't mean it's gonna hurt anymore. Because it's just gonna just gonna. Gross. Why would he? F- so you're is the reason you didn't like the fight was because you thought Reed was just farting on Doctor Doom. No, I, I couldn't think of a good word, so I just made a uh, fart stinks. noise. For a, Stop it, Reed. Yeah, for the the you know kind of squishing of his flesh against. Yeah. I don't think he's just squishy all the time, but we'd have to ask you know someone who would know. Um. Oops. <clears throat> <laughs> 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 Yeah, this is really good podcast material where we just have stare downs over saying uncomfortable things. Yeah. <laughs> just stare, like, try to not move and stare into the webcam. So, All right, let's next move up. into What If, number 10. And at this point in the Mind of the Sierra Club, I'll have already been bringing, I'll have already been bringing a couple What Ifs to the variant covers. So yeah. this is skipping ahead. Uh, but this is number 10, which Dave just added to the list, right? This is a new edition. And it is What If Jane Foster found Mjolnir. Mjolnir, yes. What if Mjolnir. Jane Foster was the one? So it's whoa, whoa, much whoa, like whoa, we saw whoa, with whoa, What whoa. If Pump number one. Nope, brakes. I'm on a roll. What if, like, no, no, Mjolnir. If, nope, not, I'm talking. What if, talking what if still? Thor was a cat? Why are you talking? Why are you still talking? <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. gosh. For the Mjolnir? For it's Mjolnir? a really good idea, right? Mjolnir? I mean, I don't think we've seen Cat Thor. So no. there is strong potential oh my for that to become okay. a thing. Uh, Pet <laughs> Avengers, give Zach a call. Oh, yeah, no, this is a retelling of the Thor origin really in Journey idea. into Mystery. And okay, uh, yeah. except this time Jane gets it. Yes, it's, it is. It's like one of the better what if concepts, I think. I don't know if the issue is, none of the what if issues play out like, I don't know, this remarkable feat in comic book storytelling. <gasps> no, but they're a all lot of them are ideas. literally like, there are a lot of homage, right? They're kind of uh, just like, okay, Jane is Thor now. So let's literally just retell every early story of Thor, but with Jane there instead. Like, Yeah, yeah. And that stuff's pretty boring. They don't play out differently. It's like, okay, now she's fighting the Molten Man. Okay, now she's fighting ra- Radioactive Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the first time Odin, or Odin, the first time Loki came to Earth and turned people negative, Jane rescued them instead of Thor. Uh, that's kind of it. Uh, there's two moments. There are two moments that made me go, like, exclaim out loud, swear cuss words out loud because i was so surprised and enraged in this issue number one is once jane kind of settles in as thor (laughs) actually not thor as thordis which is it's a bad name she decides on the name thordis so the hammer still says whoever holds this shall you know be worthy of the power of thor jane says i went to med school with a girl named thordis i'll use that so it's like i mean it's better than her just being like thorette or something. Thordis like, is better than Lady Thor for sure, um, but she still could have just been is Thor. Is it? But anyway, I don't know. Lady Thor actually sounds pretty cool to me. I mean, you it's like dumb Lady in that Thor way better that, like, than Thordis. Yeah, yeah, just like aesthetically. No, I mean it's gross in that way that like you know, Lady has to be the modifier because male is the default. So like, I mean, sometimes Lady's it, cool, like Lady Mary. I feel like that flows. I don't know who that is. Uh, Downton Abbey. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about like literal like lords and ladies now. Yeah, I feel like it's got. It doesn't have to just be like um, a gender. Yeah, it's got like some some proper noun weight to it. Okay, so the me- moments that made me gasp. Oh, it's me, One. Lady Thor, a British Insta- proper lady. I live in a manor with my servants downstairs. 
Oh, you done with the porridge down there? Well, thank you. I, that that kind of lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the that the excellent upper class British accent you just did. Yep. That definitely isn't just Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. <laughs> Oi, I'm a chimbley sweep on the side. So the two moments. One, instead of having a walking cane that she taps to turn into Thor, she turns the stick into a hairbrush because she's a woman. Baffling. That's something. Like, That's something. The whole time you're waiting, yeah, you're kind of like waiting for like, okay, what are the what are the really bad decisions that are going to be made here? Yep, and yep. a hairbrush over over walking stick. I mean, on one hand, it wouldn't make sense for her to walk around with a walking stick. Right. That yep. sort of thinking, I can see a hairbrush. <laughs> could have. <laughs> I mean, it could have been Didn't worse. Have it could have be been hairbrush. like a spatula or something. Sure. It, yeah. yeah. I, you yeah. know, it's kind of. Yeah. All right. Yep. I agree. Uh, the other moment is so basically this plays out as like all of Thor's greatest hits from like 62 to 65 more or less like we get Mangog it ends in the fight with Mangog Thor S Thor Dis shows up saves the day the weird thing is like Donald Blake is still out there right who's actually Thor <laughs> right um, and Odin gives okay so Donald Blake becomes Thor again Odin gives Jane Foster like the powers of a god she's not thordis anymore she's not like a thor a female thor she's like her own goddess that's its own thing thor has fallen in love with sif so <laughs> jane foster at the end is like i don't even know if i want to be a goddess anymore because donald blake loves sif now and she's yep. like just turn me back into a human and odin is just like yeah well uh i'm single and she's like <laughs> oh you are huh i never yeah. noticed okay yeah. All right, and it's like it goes from her being upset that Thor is dating Sif to her marrying Odin in a page and a half. It is incredible, and also just like that—that that is the kind of crazy weirdness that I do like about these issues. That just makes me go like, uh, "What?" <laughs> like, it is so baffling and so strange that well, I, I mean, almost you know, appreciate it. There, there is a degree of like. I mean, have you never, you know, had a crush on a girl, and then you know she. She starts dating somebody else, so you just start dating her mom. I've dated a lot of moms in my time, and uh, it's true? always it's always based on professional jealousy. Wait, is that actually true? Have you dated a lot of moms? I've exclusively dated moms. Okay. Well, I, the reason I'm asking is like when I was in college, I dated a bunch of moms in a row, and I used to get teased <laughs> for it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as daddies, we date moms. I feel like no one in the club should okay. be surprised by this. <laughs> uh, I can't tell if you're kidding or not, uh, but I think that would be very funny if both of us had a track record of dating mothers. I mean, moms are great. <laughs> okay, that's Odin, less great, very non-committal. <laughs> it's a very politician's answer. Okay. Odin, less great, but uh, yeah, that is how the story ends. Yeah, it is wild. Funny. It is bonkers. Obviously, like we've talked about, what ifs being used as templates for interesting ideas that could get explored later in Marvel media, Marvel comics. Um, I won't say too much other than like this one gets explored in a big way and the endings are pretty different. It's really funny if you know like this decade of Thor stories and the relation it has to this, um, the ending of this in particular is just so out of, out of line with where the Thor of today. Uh, I don't even know gone. what you're talking about at all, but you are like, tiptoeing too close to telling me something about modern comics so it's more it. it's actually it, more specifically about odin like the idea of him being wholesome or likable or no, I, know. I don't know that's what i'm saying i'm getting a, you're giving me a mind picture here that i don't want so can it yeah yeah so like specifically let me go into <laughs> some more detail no okay that's all that's gonna do it for 1978 comics part two thanks everybody for listening this is the end as the Doors would say. I don't like the Doors, do you? Are you a Doors fan? Like three songs. Oh. You you, well, I mean, I like This Which Is ones? The End. I like uh, I'm Light My gonna Fire. I love you to the heavens. Stop the rain. Ba, ba, da, ba, 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 da, da. That one? Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, that's um, all. There's, there's one other one I like. I don't know. Uh, oh, hey, you know what I just started listening to? This uh, this band. This is like kind of small band not many people have heard of. It's called uh, Steel, Steel Daniel. I think, or uh, or Steely, Steely Dan, something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dan oh, Danielle Steele. No, I'm reading a Danielle Steele novel. That's what it is. Oh, I confuse you, that with you, the act of list. Sometimes I forget if is this book or is this music. Now, when uh, you read Danielle Steele novels, at. I've heard you read them in Michael McDonald's voice. 
Wait, nope. Thinking of the Doobie Brothers. Often get them mixed up with. Uh, I didn't get the joke either way. Okay. Yeah, th- because it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a logical. I mean, I wouldn't have got it. Joke. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Steely Dan, pretty good. Oh, he would like Steely you... Dan too. That's the least surprising revelation of the day. I don't know. Yeah, I am. Uh, can't buy a They're thrill. Fine. That's, what, that's what I'm listening to. It's good. That uh, dirty work. It's a good song. Okay. Big Rex. I didn't know we were doing Rex today, so we're I not. I'm just, just talking about my new favorite band that no one's heard of, Steel Daniel. Steely Daniels, yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Oh, Paul. And... Dave, Dave Paul. Oh, my gosh. Paul Dave. Uh, 1978's poll is... I just opened my mouth and hoped something would come out. Um, we didn't talk Can about this. we think this. of a poll? We probably did. Okay. Oh, it's the digital coloring thing, right? Yeah, that's 1977. 1978. Huh. Okay. Do we need to think of one, or do we have one that we referenced last time? Oh, 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 oh. Um. I think it's the digital coloring. No, no, that's 1977. That's up already. Well, did we do one last time? I don't remember. No, I think we just forgot, because I think I would remember. Okay. Uh, okay. So, here's a good poll. Oh, I was thinking of one. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. If you, based only on the readings that we've done up to 1978, could erase, no, no, could cancel a Marvel superhero from the canon so that they basically get canceled and we never see them again, like, uh... Hank Pym. I don't know. We're done. Well, no, it's not open. It's not open question. We have to come well, up with the... Well, that's the only choice. Okay. Iron Man? <laughs> Thor? <laughs> How dare you? Just saying. Uh, Cyclops? Mute. Mute? Yeah, I just muted you. Oh, uh, okay. Um, who else? Who else is, like, Daredevil? Block. Just block you. Who else? Who else is a good one? It's a bad poll. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I'll record something later. I don't like this at all. All right, our poll for 1978 is, if you could Insert put... poll here. ...your favorite Marvel character onto any piece of clothing and wear it around, would you rather have it on... Nope, scratch that. If you could get a tattoo of your favorite Marvel character anywhere on your body, would you rather have it on your cheek, your arm, your leg... Or your cheek. Or your winky cheeks. Winky cheeks? Ugh, I don't like that. Well, it was like cheeks, but with a wink. Yeah, you say cheeks, wink. You don't say winky No, you say winky cheeks. Gross, gross. That sounds like a Midwestern, like, family food chain. Winky Cheeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you gotta try their cheeseburgers, man. Winky Cheeks does it right. Yeah, all right, so tattoos. It's not quite a strip club, but, like, it's not not a strip club. But you can take your kids, <laughs> is the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the wings are good. To Winky Cheeks. <laughs> all right, this has gone off the rails. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks, as always, and we will see you next year. Oh, Disaster Piece. Thank you, Disaster Piece. We'll see you mm. next year. Mm. You can't do that. We made an agreement with him. I mean, we honor our agreements. Yeah. Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs>